This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What up, what up, what up? We're back with another edition of the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm Justin Michael. I'm here with Jake Schwanitz. It's just a two-man crew today. We got abandoned by our friends. It happens. We've all been there. You plan a big party. You know, you order the six-foot sub. And uh, now you just got so much sandwich you don't know what to do with. It's fine. Maybe we'll forgive Trey. Maybe we won't. We'll see if we invite him come holiday season. But uh, my main man, Jake, is here. My my true ride or die at the moment. Dre, I'm just kidding. You know, I love you. Uh, but how's it going, man? I'm doing well, man. The cool kids at least showed up to the party. So uh, we can eat as much, <laughs> uh, as much sandwich and drink as much soda pop as we so desire. I, uh, you know, I'm giving... Dre a bunch of crap here, but I feel like he ditched school and we're the nerds that showed up. So he's probably the cool one and, and we're the dweebs in this exactly. situation, but yep. that's all right. We've got plenty of football to talk about. Uh, the Broncos coming off of a bye, so not a ton to talk about there. We do have an intriguing game coming up against Tennessee. Um I mean, probably like a must win if you want to be in the the playoff conversation, I'd say. Yeah, it seems like it's getting late early for the Broncos. Um, I mean, you just got to hope that some bye week magic has sort of touched down on them and things have just changed from an energy standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, from a play calling standpoint. We'll see how it goes, man. I don't know. I don't know if I'm feeling too optimistic about it, but uh, I'll be here every step of the way, no matter what. Looks like they're going blue, white, blue again. They're they're rolling with the ugly uniforms. I get it. You knew it was going to happen when they won, but I don't know. I think, like I said a couple weeks ago, we won't go on and on. Everybody knows how I feel about the uniform combo at this point, but I, I don't think it was the uniforms. I think it was that you were playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'll just say that. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, let's talk what we want to talk about, and that is college football. We have an exciting week 11 slate coming up this weekend, but we got to start with week 10, which was about as good as it gets. You could get a couple of SEC haymaker games, which were a lot of fun. Georgia, incredibly dominant. We'll talk about that. LSU pulls off the upset. And of course, Clemson goes down. They are who we thought they were, as my main man Jake has in the notes. Let's start with Georgia, Tennessee, though, because obviously that was the the story of the weekend. And I think what we got to lead with is just Georgia's defensive dominance. I mean, to do this against this Tennessee offense to basically completely shut them down. I know Tennessee mounted that scoring drive late in the fourth quarter, got some garbage time points there, but I mean, this game was over at halftime. Georgia just cruised in the second half. 
Yeah, just completely crushed them. Um, even Stetson was playing well. I think we just kind of forgot how well-rounded and how long that George has been doing this. I mean, these players, these coaches have been in these games for so many years. Um, it felt, I mean, we talked about it last week and we talked about potential shootout. Those dreams were dashed pretty early on, I'd say. Um, <clears throat> the defense of Georgia was just dominant. Credit to Hendon Hooker and what he's done all the all season this year. Um, but he hasn't really faced a defense like that. And Tennessee's inability to run the ball, I think, came kind of came back and bu- uh, bit him in the butt here also. Uh, Jalen Hyatt wasn't able to really break free and be wide open down the field for some big gains and everything like that. So it was just a completely different game than what Tennessee was used to playing to this point. And Georgia's just been in so many uh, dogfights like this that they were just right at home. So Hendon Hooker finishes 23 of 33, 195 yards in the interception. Only one against this, you know, Georgia D. You can live with that. He's been really good as far as protecting the football this year. How much does this game impact his draft stock, though, just given that? I mean, I've talked about the fact that he's really benefited from his wide receivers being, you know, all open all the time. And the big question was, you know, can he do this in NFL windows? Because this is the type of coverage you're going to have to you know, make plays against as teams like this Georgia defense. On the other hand, I don't want to get too overreactionary just given that this Georgia defense, I mean, really for like a two and a half year stretch now is probably in the conversation for like the most dominant units of all time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, six sacks, eight tackles for a loss. Um, I do think that there's something to take away in terms of Hendon Hooker's draft status or his stock in this game. Um, I'll need to go back and watch the film exactly, but I mean, I think this offense with Tennessee, I don't want to, it's not gimmicky, but it's, uh, it's a different style. You know what I mean? I mean, he's not going to be having these wide open guys. He's not going to have Jalen Hyatt open 35 yards down the field, three times a game in the NFL. Uh, so it was a bit more, as you said, it's like what he's going to see in the NFL more. So it's just, it's so tough with his age. I think though, I still can't really get over that. I mean, I think that's going to be a a big factor for both of these quarterbacks, right? Like Hendon Hooker has more plus traits than Stetson Bennett does. I'm not trying to throw any shade at Stetson. He is running this offense to perfection. He is, you know, doing everything they want. And he's, he's making some big time throws. It's not like last year where they're only dinking and dunking. He's stretching the field. He's beating teams over the top. It, It helps when you have the type of running game they do. And then, you know, all world offensive line where it feels like he never has anybody in his face, but he's just a nice quarterback, man. Like I, again, I don't really see it in in the NFL or anything like that, but some teams going to talk themselves into taking him in like the second or third round, just because his numbers and his interviews and his history and all that. I mean, why not? We see worst quarterbacks get drafted every year, man. Um, He's been certainly do worse. Yeah. 100%. He's been fun. Um, he's had sort of a rough stretch uh, lately. This game against Tennessee was actually kind of a bounce back for him. Against Florida, he did play okay. Only 50% completion, though. 316 yards, two touchdowns, but two interceptions also. Um, and then he had two touchdowns against Vanderbilt. And then that was on October 15th. You'd have to go before that back to September 17th to his last touchdown pass. So more than a month between touchdown passes is pretty rough. but. Um, I mean, it's Georgia. He doesn't really, if you don't have to throw touchdown passes, it must mean that your team is doing something uh, right to win. 
Look, I mean, I think Kirby Smart's a realist. You don't want to be putting too much on the shoulders of Stetson Bennett. You know, if if he's throwing 50 times in a game pretty consistently, that's probably a, a bad sign for this Georgia team. But right. it does feel like whenever he has to make the plays, when they do have to lean on him, and, and in, in the SEC East, they just really have not been tested that much. They performed in the big games to their credit. I'm not like trying to question their legitimacy or anything like that, yeah. but... I mean, they really haven't had to show a lot. And even in that second half, like they totally took off the throttle, you know, offensively and just kind of ran out the clock. Like it, I don't know. I I think he's probably capable of more than what we've seen, but I also kind of think he is what he is at this point. And I know that's somewhat of a cop out, but I will say I'm impressed with his composure in the biggest moments. When you look at the national championship last year, you look at how he played in that Oregon game, this game, when the lights are, are brightest, he does seem to live up to it. Yeah, 100%. And Georgia, I mean, they've really just been kind of been cruising, honestly. They had this big game this weekend. They played Florida the weekend before. But really, you'd have to go back, I mean, three games before that against Missouri. That's the last time they really struggled. And they ended up beating Missouri. Um, and then just going back to the season opener against Oregon, they kind of cruised since then, too. So I think it's good to see... Um, just from a playoff standpoint that this team can turn it on and flip that switch because they're obviously going to need it at a certain point. Um, but yeah, it's all going to be on Stetson Bennett. How much can he actually do for you on offense? Can he go out and win, win you a game? Can he win you a drive? Can he lead you down the field with two minutes left, 80 yards to go? So um, we'll see. I mean, it feels like this team's sort of ramping up for this playoff though, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like Georgia is at a level right now where it's, they're so good. They don't even have, like they beat you with, you know, they're going like 85, 90%. And I still think they have a whole nother level where they can just go for four quarters offensively and defensively. I have a hard time seeing anybody, but this team win the national championship after what we saw from them defensively in that game. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm huge on my Wolverines, man, but I just go back to last year in the playoff and how Georgia just completely smacked them down. And I'm, I just don't see really a different outcome. Maybe Ohio State could do something to them. And Bam is not even going to be in the playoff at this rate. So I don't even know if a four seed could even really push Georgia. It's going to be interesting. And we'll talk about some of this playoff push as we talk about the rest of these games over the weekend. But Georgia, I mean, they're going to clinch the East this weekend with the win over Mississippi State. Then they go to Kentucky, which is, you know, a deceptively tough game. We'll see kind of if that Bob Stoops defense, you know, their fans are going to be amped up for it. They'd love to play spoilers. I mean, if you get through Kentucky, you got Georgia Tech at home the week after that. And then even in an SEC title loss, as long as they run the slate, they're going to be in. And that's the thing. And you look at who they might be lining up against on the other side of the SEC championship game. <clears throat> LSU is in the lead in the um, in the other division now. So it's it's not even Bam is just completely out of it, basically. I mean, they've got a game against Ole Miss this weekend. So I guess you could say that Ole Miss is still in it. But um, I, I still don't really believe in them. And honestly, LSU. I just don't know if Georgia is really going to even get pushed by them either. So um, I think they've kind of knocked out the hardest parts of their schedule really at this point, honestly. Yeah, they're kind of in the don't shoot yourselves in the foot territory. Like as long exactly. as they don't beat themselves, Georgia's going to cruise to another playoff appearance, potentially another national championship. I just, 
It feels like they're on another level. As far as LSU goes, yeah, they control their own destiny on the road at Arkansas this weekend. Should be a win. Then you got UAB at home. I hate that. Absolutely hate that. I know all the SEC yeah. teams do it, but we should not be playing Conference USA teams in November. It's crazy, man. And then they go to Texas A&M in the season finale. And I mean, you got you to gotta watch out for Jimbo in these type of games. That's when A&M is sneaky. When everybody's down and out on them, they pull out the win. But it's I have a hard a time seeing them lose too. Man. Like It feels like it should be LSU-Georgia in that title game. And it, I think that's what we're going to get. And I mean, I'll ask you, but man, I don't know if LSU has enough to really push Georgia at this point. I think that... I was high on Brian Kelly coming to LSU. I honestly did not expect this in year one. Um, I thought that they would be closer to like a eight win-ish team. Uh, but now it looks like they're headed towards double digits. And I just don't think that they're good enough up front. I don't know if they have if Jaden Daniels is going to be poised enough to really stand behind that uh that offensive line and that Georgia defense and really kind of manage the game. I think it's just a year too early for them. So really, yeah, it's a, it's I don't want to call it a cakewalk because it's still the SEC, but I think Georgia's got a free ride to the to the playoff at this point. Georgia's just on another level in the trenches, and you see it when they play anybody. Right, like that. There's not anybody that can hang with them in that front seven. They just bully you and do whatever they want. And offensively, you know, their line is is just a stout. They just it's insane that they're able to do this year after year. I mean, how many draft picks did they produce on that defensive side last year? Like eight or whatever it was. And now you just turn it back around and just completely. And I'll say the same thing for your Michigan Wolverines. The fact that they've, you know, I knew their offensive line was going to be great. One of the most experienced units coming back. They've got a solid run game. You figure they're going to be strong there, but after losing, you know, a Jabo and, and Hutchinson, you're thinking, you know, naturally it's going to take a step back. They've probably been like, just, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like as consistent as they were last year. I'd say they may be even better, man. Yeah, I was going to say that, but then I got scared. No, it's spot on, though. I think they might be even better. Blake Corum is one of, if not the best player in the nation right now. He's probably leading the Heisman. JJ is going to have to step up at some point. So he hasn't really been pressured or had to, you know, do some of those kind of heroic drives and lead this team late. Um, and it's good. He's going to get tested. Michigan's going to get tested down the stretch here. Uh, they have Nebraska this weekend. They're like 30 point favorites. But after that, they go against Ryan Walters and that Illinois defense. And then they have Ohio State the next week. So uh, it's really just kind of picking up for Michigan at this point, really the opposite of what Georgia's going to go through. I do want to talk about Alabama LSU a little bit. And that's my fault yes. for getting us sidetracked with Michigan. But just real quick, since so, we yeah. brought it up and, and we're kind of mixing in some college football playoff talk here. Is there a possibility that Michigan and Ohio state can both get in? Like what would they need for that to happen? Yeah. I mean, they'd probably need LSU to lose a regular season game. I think you, you need Oregon to drop probably multiple games. Yeah, I think if it stays status quo, if TCU kind of wins out and wins the big 12, I think there's definitely a path. Tennessee, I think, is out just because they don't have a ticket to the SEC title game anymore. Um, Oregon, I think you'd have to win that Pac-12 title game in order to be considered in general just for a playoff spot. But to be taken over Michigan at this point, I mean, you're going to need some chaos to kind of happen, I think, because 
TCU is going to still be in the picture. And I could see, I mean, so say TCU loses, um, say, I mean, obviously someone's going to lose between Ohio State and Michigan. So Oregon's going to have to win. And then you're going to need uh, USC to kind of keep winning too. I know they've got a few tough games. They've got UCLA that's got to come up. they got to play Notre Dame still. They do have the buffs this weekend, but it gets really tough for them. So I think the Pac-12 has a potential way to find their way in um, from some Michigan-Ohio State chaos. But if it's a close game, I mean, if it's the team, if whoever loses, loses by 7 or 10, honestly, I think it's it'd be pretty hard to not put both in the playoff at this point because I think it's pretty clear right now that those are two of the best teams, two of the best four at least in the country, right? Yeah, I agree. I'm, I was just kind of wanted to pick your brain on it. I was trying to figure out what the path for Tennessee to the playoff would be. You need TCU to stumble here. You need Oregon to stumble down the stretch. You need LSU probably. Yeah, it just it feels it feels tough at this it's point, so even if they went out because right they don't really have the the games down the stretch here to boost the resume back up. I will say it's gonna get real interesting if TCU loses this weekend at Texas and then all of a sudden it's and they're you know like seven and a half point dogs, so Vegas thinks it's gonna happen. Um right. Well one more one more tangent actually, but then we can get to Bama. I, I listened to a podcast yesterday and obviously Tennessee just lost to Georgia. And they were having a conversation on whose loss to Georgia was actually better. I mean, this is pure college football shit. I mean, the, the better loss type of thing. But I thought it was actually interesting debating between Oregon and Tennessee, which loss to Georgia was better because you look at the Georgia score. Yeah, it was 49 to three, but this was week one of a new regime. This was Dan Lanning's first game at Georgia uh, or at Oregon. Sorry. And you can obviously see the growth since then. Whereas with Tennessee, I mean, this is what game 20 something in Josh Heupel's uh, career there. Um, Tennessee really, I mean, they played Bama and they were kind of holding on to that win. Um, but other than the LSU win, there was not much really on the schedule. I mean, you could throw in the Kentucky game and the Florida game, I guess. I don't really take those teams seriously. I don't know about you. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting conversation because I do think Georgia kind of has a claim to maybe having the better loss to Georgia. That Oregon does, you mean? Or that Oregon does. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Too many teams and names flying around right now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, 49-3 is tough to look past just from the optics of it. But I would argue that this game against Tennessee, that it was equally as dominant. The difference was is they didn't exactly do what they needed to offensively for four quarters. Like we said, they just kind of sat on that lead in the second half and were content, you know, leaving with the with the dub. And that makes sense. You know, at this stage of the season, George is like, why are we going to show you more when we have stuff we're going to save for the for the right. playoff and the SEC title run and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with you. I mean, it's game one under Lanning. It's week one, too. So you have a, a long way to get away from it. Whereas fair exactly. or not, it feels like a you know an October, November loss is always going to hurt you way more than a September loss, even though they count exactly the same. And it's kind of funny the way we do it. It's uh, It's college football, man. We do weird things. Oregon's got a shot, man. They've got a chance to pick up multiple ranked wins here before the end of the season. You got Washington, Utah, then at Oregon State, who could be ranked too. So potentially, you know, three straight ranked wins. And if they win the Pac-12, I think they'd have pretty strong argument for the playoff. Um, 
Let's talk BAM LSU though. I know we started with them and then ended up dipping into the big 10 and the PAC 12 and the big 12. So we went all around the country <laughs> there <laughs> somewhere. Dre would just be so mad at us, but that's okay. Um, this Alabama LSU game, obviously I'm a Bama guy. So uh blow it stung. I will say that two point conversions, a pick play. That's a penalty. Brian Kelly even admitted it post game. He's like, they're not going to call it in that scenario. So uh, to have the the stones to do it, knowing they wouldn't call it, I respect that a lot. Each team punted once in the second half. It was just two good, I would say, not great football teams. Two, you know, good football teams with great coaches going back at it, going blow for blow. Bama just doesn't have the guys in the trenches or on the outside this year that we're used to seeing. Like it, it's, they're still a really yeah. good football team. They're still probably a double digit win football team, but. You know, we've talked about it all year at wide receiver. It's just not the same. That defensive line isn't quite as dominant. And, you know, in the secondary, they've got some real holes. So they're a good team. They're not a great team. They have a stellar quarterback and an electric running back. And obviously, Will Anderson, who I still think is one of the most talented players in the country. But they just have too many holes when it comes to these top teams. They are beatable. It still takes pretty much a, you know, a perfect effort to beat them. And, LSU was able to do that in the second half. Kudos to Brian Kelly. You said it earlier. He's a great coach. He's fun to meme. Like I'll do, I'll make fun of the family thing for the next 20 years, but he's a phenomenal offensive football coach. His game plan was just let Jaden Daniels run around. He did it and it was fun. Yeah, 100%. Got to give credit to this LSU defense too. BJ Ojolari had a big game. Uh, Harold Perkins too. I mean, my God, as a true freshman to come in there and do what's was asked of him and do it at that level. Um, he was a big reason this team won this game. Also, the, how much does it hurt seeing the Hunter Renfro touchdown and then seeing it basically again against LSU, dude? Yeah, that was. It was felt like a callback. It feels like a lot of Alabama losses are that way because it always ends with them storming the fucking field. And yeah, they, they all blur weird. together at some point. It's a crappy way to lose. But I mean, I can't be upset. Like that's you have to storm the field in that scenario. And it, was, it looked like an epic scene. I, I wish I was there. Well, yes and no, but <laughs> I get what you mean. I mean, Death Valley is it's brutal, man. I think we I uh, I of course looked past that last week i should have uh taken that into more account but i think we all kind of look past death valley this setting at night um even if lsu is bad i mean this should have always been a close game just because this is just how it always happens in these settings yeah i mean i'm not sure there's a better home field advantage in all college football than death valley at night 100 percent um but yeah now lsu's in the playoff talk like all of a sudden like this is crazy just kind of how fast this moved i don't think anyone really saw this coming at this point but now as we talked about a few minutes ago they kind of control their own destiny they have this headlining win now um they have an easy schedule to go down the stretch you just got to beat georgia right that's all you got to do just beat georgia it's simple can they they could do it can they i mean like no is there any scenario in which you can see that happening what would the line be in that game? 10? I think it might be more, man. I think you've got to be two touchdowns plus, right? If Georgia just did that to Tennessee, I trust Tennessee's offense more than I trust LSU at this point. I trust Hendon Hooker more than I trust Jaden Daniels. Yeah, you're right. It'd probably be like 13. 
at least. Um, I mean, it'd be a neutral field too. I mean, you wouldn't have the true Georgia home field advantage. So yeah, I think 13 is at least where you start, but I'd probably still go two touchdowns plus, honestly. Well, a neutral field is always in quotations when the SEC championship games in Atlanta for Georgia. Right, exactly. That's why, like, even for Bama, when it's Bama, Georgia, it's like 70-30 Georgia. And it makes sense. It's it's in Atlanta, but I always... Yeah, neutral field. Okay. Um, let's move on. Let's talk TCU. Um, they're like seven and a half point underdogs at Texas this weekend. Where are you at with the Horn Frogs? Because repeatedly the big question you know, has been like, can they keep this up? And they just keep answering the bell over and over again. Yet for some reason, I still feel like I, I question their legitimacy, legitimacy just a little bit in terms of like, could they actually beat these other top four teams? I'm not saying they don't deserve to be in the rankings. I ranted for 10 minutes last week about how based on their resume, they should. It feels weird that they went from seven to four. It kind of feels like yeah. the committee was saw everybody's reaction and then just went, all right, fine, we'll put them in. And it, it feels almost inevitable that when that happens and they're just going to fall on the road at Texas, the Big yes. 12 always does this to themselves. <laughs> they cannibalize themselves and have like four or five, nine or 10 win teams. And just, instead of just having that, that one team that survives the gauntlet, but you know, you love their receivers. Where are you at with TCU? Yeah, I'm not really sure, honestly. I mean, you look at their schedule. They had that stretch in the middle of the year where they played four straight ranked teams, of course, won them all. Um, and just the fashion that they win these games, always coming from behind. I do think this weekend against Texas is their toughest test. We'll get to that game on the other side of the break. Um, but just looking at the schedule, I mean, at Baylor after versus Iowa State, um, the Big 12 doesn't have divisions, right? It's just top two teams that Correct. go on to play. So at this point, um, I don't have the standings pulled up right now. I'm pulling them up uh, as we speak. So it'd still be TCU versus Texas. Um, if Texas loses, they drop to four and three in conference. So this potentially opens the door for Kansas State. Um, and then Baylor's still hanging around. It's a team. So it'd be a team that TCU would have to already beat at that point. It's just such a tough path. I mean, of course, if they win out, you put yourself in the conversation. Um, but they can't afford to stumble once at all. And I don't know. I look at this team and Duggan does his thing and they got Johnston, like a guy that who actually can dominate other um, very talented football players, SEC caliber players, um, if given the chance. But I just don't think trenches wise, just top to bottom, this roster. I mean, you throw them against Ohio State, Georgia or Michigan, man. I mean, what we just talked about, is that a two touchdown line there? At least 10 points. It just feels like you can run the ball on TCU. And I, I have a hard time seeing them get off the field against these other, like even Georgia would just be able to move the chains on them at will. Right. It's, it's, it's a, I mean, we kind of have this conversation every year with these big 12 and pac 12 teams. I mean, yeah, your schedule can look nice and you can do everything that you can within your power, but then it's just a, so this is a completely different ball game when you go up against these top three or four teams. I mean, and there's no real measuring stick to do that except for these actual playoff games. And time and time again, the SEC and the Clemsons when they're rolling and um, they just end up rolling over these teams, man. I feel conflicted because there's a part of me that would just like to see somebody new, you know, crack the playoff this year. 
there's also a big part of me that it feels like it's going to be, you know, an Alabama, Michigan state situation where it's, you know, just a complete difference in the trenches, like we said, and then it's not even a good game might be beneficial, you know, to have TCU in a, in a New York six bowl game, New York sick, new year's six can't speak today, bowl game or something like that. But they're, they're a fun story. I'm certainly rooting for them. I think it'd be cool to see them run the table, but surviving this two game road stretch at Texas and at Baylor feels like a, like a tough challenge. It's a tough task. I mean, and if they are going to survive and put their, their uh, name in the hat for, for this playoff, they're probably going to win at least one of these games from behind too. And you know how the committee committee is with style points and it, it matters to them a lot more than these other polls in terms of how you win. Um, especially when you've got Oregon kind of breathing down their back. I did think it was interesting that Tennessee only dropped to five. I mean, I know they were number one. It's it's really hard for them to drop further than that. Bama um, losing was I think massive for them. 100%. Um, but, I mean, TCU loses. It obviously opens the door for the Pac-12 and for Oregon first. Um, but Tennessee's still right there. And then, I mean, they dropped Clemson all the way down to 10, but that's still a one-loss team too. Do you think Clemson could fight their way back if TCU stumbles? I think putting Clemson at 10 makes it pretty clear that the committee recognizes what Clemson is. They were giving them the respect just based on brand and the fact that they hadn't lost yet. But I mean, to lose the way they did, especially to Notre Dame, as you mentioned in our notes, I mean, it was like a four score game in the fourth quarter. It was, it was an ass kicking on national TV. So that that's really going to hurt your brand. And the ACC is just not that strong. Clemson, they're going to win the league still likely, but nobody's going to care. Right. I mean, we're really just a TCU loss away from complete chaos at this point. Man, this does feel like one of the years where if you had a 12-team playoff, it really could get kooky. I mean, maybe not. Oh, just, yeah. well, I mean, we talk so much about how much better Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan are than everybody else, but I don't know. So the, a lot of these teams are good, you know. I I don't I don't think TCU isn't capable of of you know doing something you know insane for one game. It's just to win the playoff, you got to win back to back games in the trenches, and that's really the difference between those top three teams and everyone else this year. And it's the difference every year, so it's not that like you know astute of an observation. But when you're mowing everybody no. down for six yards of carry, <laughs> and your defensive line dominates and makes them go back the other way, it's a recipe for success. It's a valid point, man. And going back to your expanded playoff point, I mean, you look around this 12, 13 ranking cutoff, and I think that's where, honestly, where this year it falls in terms of the cutoff of the elite teams. I mean, yeah, you can probably cut it off at three and say these are the truly elite. Um, but right at 12 and 13, you have UCLA and Utah. Before uh, Below them, you have Penn State and North Carolina. And I think that that UCLA Utah cutoff really is the cutoff of the the cream of the crop this year in college football. Um, Ole Miss maybe I'm still iffy on, um, but the rest of those teams above Utah, I think that if you had them all in a playoff, that's a damn good playoff, man. That's that's so exciting. At the very minimum, you have a bull system where your top prospects are not sitting out of the the primetime games. And that's where we're at now where guys, if they don't get in the playoff, you get a new year's six bowl. They're like, whatever. I don't care about playing in the sugar bowl. And those games got to mean something like the playoff is fun, but 
we we don't want it to just be the you know the two games like we need more than that bowl season used to be a six-week celebration of college football it was amazing now it's just a lot of you know lifeless games and i still watch them and i always will but it, it would just make some of those games matter a little bit more i'm with you man and i think that the uh I don't even want to say it's the committee. I think that the conference commissioners, I think that I guess you could throw the NCAA still in there at this point. I think they, uh, all these organizations want that too. I think that the, uh, the lessening of importance of the postseason has been a problem and it's something that a lot of people want to fix. And it seems like we're going to get that eventually. It's just not soon enough, unfortunately. It's been a fun year. I'll take it though. You know, it's, Yes, we still have the chalk at the top and that's really just nothing's going to change that. There's always going to be a couple of college football programs that are on a different level and it, it'll you know cycle which ones those are, but there's always going to be somebody that's ahead. I just feel like it's been fun that we've had a lot of chaos like outside of the top four, you know, five through 25 has pretty much been a revolving door and that's good. Yeah, you know, you need is. upsets, you need intriguing matchups. It's cool that Notre Dame, you know, has picked up a little bit of steam. They desperately needed that. I'm stoked that they beat Clemson because Clemson, just having them in the playoff would not have been fun with what they have offensively. No. There's they're such a step below everybody else that it, it just would have been boring. And th- that front seven is legit. Their front seven is probably, you know, outside of Georgia, uh, Michigan, you know, them, but they don't have the, the quarterback. They don't have the run game that the, we're used to seeing them have. And they're just like a boring brand of football to watch. Like it's not very creative either. Yeah. I mean, I think we've been, that's why I wrote that they are who we thought they were because we've been calling this out all year. I mean, you go back to the weight game, you go back to uh, the Florida state game, even Syracuse just before this Notre Dame game. I mean, this team just looked primed to fall and it looked like they were really just holding on by the skin of their teeth uh, at many points throughout this year. And it all just kind of came to a head at Notre Dame where, as you mentioned, I mean, it was 28 to nothing with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. This was an absolute ass whooping. Uh, even the 35 to 14 final score doesn't do exactly how bad Clemson got beat uh, or how well Notre Dame played justice. Notre Dame jumping all the way up to 20, though, after not even being in the rankings does make me laugh a little bit to where it's we're kind of just winging it with some of this shit. Like there's no rhyme or reason. They don't, no voter seems to have a, a set of principles that they stick to. And that's my biggest flaw, you know, with this. And that's, that's kind of okay. You know, it gives everybody something to talk about, but I, I get the frustration of the inconsistency of it all. Even again, like as much as I love TCU, but like they got screwed last week, I don't understand how they go from seven to four. I, I don't understand how, you know, Bama drops to nine but Clemson drops all the way to 10 with their one loss. I, it's it's just a weird situation. It is. It's college football, man. I mean, everyone's got their own sets of rules and their own sets of uh, benchmarks that need to be clear. On Notre Dame, though, I mean, I think that Marshall loss just looms so big at this point. Even the Stanford loss looms really big. Um, if they could go back and just take one of those away, I think that uh, things would be a lot different. Real quick here, and then we'll take a break and preview the the next week or this coming week, I guess I should say. Are you a, are you a Marcus Freeman believer at Notre Dame? Hmm. Um. 
I'd say yes at this point. I think he, I think last week did enough that I'm willing to kind of hop on the bandwagon. Um, they have a, nothing really going on until the last week of the season. They got Navy, then Boston College, and then they play at USC. Honestly, a big game for both teams. Uh, it's looking like that will shape up to be. But his calling card was defense and the way that they play defense. And I mean, DJ was just awful. Uh, even Klubnik wasn't good either. Um, but they were able to make him an impact on defense and special teams. Um, it wasn't even the offense kind of going like crazy. I mean, you see 28 to nothing. That's what you think. It was punt blocks. It was interceptions. Um, I'm buying in. I am too. I, I, I think he's a, I think he's a good fit. I think they did about as, as well as they could. And I think it was probably best for Notre Dame as much as I like Brian Kelly. It just feels like it was right for both sides to move on. And he's landed in a good spot mm-hmm. too. So uh, we're going to move on. We're going to preview week 11. Got a lot of fun games this weekend coming up. We'll talk about our picks, the spread, all that fun stuff and more real quick. Got to shout out the sponsors though. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets when your team wins. Check this out, though. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlay. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and place a stepped-up same-game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. You know I'm all in on the Nuggets this year. It's a lot of fun to uh, bet on Nikola Jokic totals every night. MPJ threes have been hot. You want to keep taking advantage of that while the market uh, is still favoring us. It's going to correct itself any day now. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use the promo code DNVR. Make any $5 bet this week. Get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with that promo code DNVR. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Also, shout out to our friends at Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, We've hit daylight savings time. It is now deep into the fall. How about a crisp vanilla porter junior uh, with the fall season coming around? Breckenridge Brewery has plenty of great beers, however, not just a vanilla porter junior. You can get a Broncos Country Pale Ale. Uh, I'm still going to be crushing my Mountain Beach Sours throughout the fall and winter. I do not Amen. care what season it is. That beer is amazing. And I will talk about it every time I've got a Breckenridge Brewery read because it is just fantastic. If you're looking for a Mountain Beach Sour, Vanilla Porter Jr., any of their great beers, check out their beer locator at www.breckbrew.com and find a Broncos Country Pale Ale, Mountain Beach Sour, Vanilla Porter Jr. near you. Nailed it. We love Breck. You love Breck. Get that Breck brew. All right, let's talk about week 11 because there's some games this week that have some massive implications on the college football playoff rankings and who might actually end up cracking that top four. The headlining game of the weekend, though, definitely TCU Texas in Austin. Longhorn seven and a half point favorites at home over under set at 65. Vegas expecting a typical Big 12 shootout. You can get the TCU money line at plus 230. Not very often you get that kind of juice on an undefeated team at this stage of the season. This kind of feels like last week, though, where the line is drastic enough with Georgia where you yep. know Vegas is confident. And that's always a, a scary proposition when you, you know, really back a team. 
Yep. The book is leading you towards Texas, and I am going to take their advice and take the Longhorns in this one. Um, really, <clears throat> I think when you t- go and take a snapshot, uh, Snapchat snapshot of the Longhorn schedule to this point, um, if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt and that Alabama game goes a little bit differently, I think we're talking about a completely different story with this Texas team um, that lost to Oklahoma State was real close too. I mean, the Texas Tech one is really hard to get over, um, but this is a potential, I don't know, top 15 team in the country that has just fallen on a little bit of bad luck. They're at home. Uh, It's seven and a half. I don't know if they cover seven and a half, but I definitely think they win this game. Well, here's a couple of notes for you that might help you make up your mind. TCU has covered the spread in each of its last five games against teams from Texas, seven and a half. I like the Horn Frogs to cover. I just think maybe pulling out the win in this scenario is going to be tough. Again, that over-under set at 65. Um, the over has hit in Austin only once this season. The under has hit four times. Each of Texas's last five games against top five AP-ranked teams have gone under the points total as well. So the, the history says probably take the under. Um, but Vegas, again set at 65 they're protecting themselves just in case that big 12 shootout does happen i think there's a path for that to happen though i would i do too yeah i i mean like i said with tcu i don't neither of these teams like wow me defensively i think texas is a little bit better defensively but i don't think it's overpowering enough to hold it to a i don't know a 14 20 game or something you know all right so you like texas to win you like TCU to cover though? Uh with the hook, yeah. Let me let me get TCU to cover, but I'll take Texas to win. I am gonna go out on a limb and say TCU pulls it off. I don't feel good about it at wow. all, but I, I'm gonna take the TCU money line and, and just dip my toes in there a little bit, try and uh, offset some, some of the losings that I've had or losses I've had. God. We cannot speak today. It's too early in the morning. It's rough. <laughs> um, <clears throat> sometimes, man, this, the cheese is so stinky that it just kind of like you're just attracted to it and you can't help but just go all in. So I, I've done it many times this year in my life. Um, so I honestly don't really blame you. The only reason I feel more confidently about it is it's Texas, who every time right. you know we get the, oh, Texas is back, they're going to get this big key signature yeah. win. <laughs> then, you know horns down it comes back into play so i i'm rocking with tcu mostly because i'm rooting for the storyline but i'm i'm you know again i'm taking a risk here i'm not kind of going out being like they're absolutely gonna win this game right, i just right. think it's worth sprinkling alabama 11 and a half point favorites on the road at ole miss uh ole miss can't stop anybody defensively that said, I based on everything that we've seen from Alabama this year, I don't understand why they keep getting these massive spreads. They're not covering them. Yeah, it's crazy. And they're on the road, too. I think that it's pretty apparent that Ole Miss plus 11.5 has a tremendous amount of value. <clears throat> the money line at plus 350, are, are we intrigued by this at all? I don't. I still don't believe in this Ole Miss team enough. Um, I think they're frisky. I think they can score points. But um, I don't even know if I'm confident enough to win this game even at home. It's juicy enough that I think it's probably worth sprinkling just given the circumstance of the game. Kiffin's going to have Ole Miss fired up to play Bama. You know, I mean, Saban's his mentor. 
he wants to beat Bama. Like this game is going to mean a lot to them. And you have an Alabama team who you just don't know what type of mindset you get. You know, are are they coming in pissed off after losing to LSU, or are they coming in knowing that well? you know, for our standards, we can't accomplish what we were hoping to. And, you know, like a dejected team maybe ends up dropping one to a hungrier team. That said, as flawed as as Bama is, I think they're going to give up points in this. I think, you know, Ole Miss is going to score. I just have a hard time seeing Ole Miss stop Bryce Young and Jameer Gibbs. Like, I, yeah. you know, th- yeah. those two are the difference to me. Over under in this one also set at 65 um, so expecting some points here. It should be a fun game. I'm looking forward to this. And this is really the chance for Ole Miss, in my opinion, to prove themselves. Um, you know, you have the loss to LSU, uh, but you win this, you're in the driver's seat, I think, in the SEC West at this point. Uh, so this is a big game for Ole Miss. A couple of tidbits for you, courtesy of our friends, DraftKings. Ole Miss has covered the spread in each of the last nine November games against AP-ranked teams. Again, that 11-and-a-half history is on our side there. Eight of Ole Miss' last nine November games against AP teams have gone under the point total line, so maybe uh, uh, an under that you wouldn't expect, but the history says consider it. I have a hard time seeing it with these two defenses, though. Yeah, I mean, last year it was a great pick down the stretch, especially because Matt Corral was a bit hurt and uh, they were just getting overvalued in terms of the over-under. I don't know if that's the exact situation this year, though. Where are you at with Jackson Dart? I don't know, man. Um, I'm, I This offense makes it so hard, honestly, to make me feel either way about one of these quarterbacks, about any quarterback, really, um, just because... It's so quick and it's so easy. Um, but then when you have a guy like Jackson Dart coming in, he's got seven picks this year, only 14 touchdowns. Um, I think you expect more out of quarterbacks in this system. Um, I think that's pretty fair. He has had some big games, but also when you look at this game log, man, I mean, against LSU, that was a huge game, not a great performance. Against Kentucky, that was a big game. They won that game by three points. That wasn't a great performance. Um, he didn't play well against Troy to start the year. So I, I just don't know what I'm getting. What You have to tell me, I guess. I don't know what I'm getting here. I mean, he's a, he can make some plays. Like you said, he can stretch the field. I just, he doesn't really have to make a ton of reads in this system. And so it's, it's hard yep. to gauge, you know, is this legitimate or is this, you know, the, one of the best schemers in college football, just taking advantage of the mm-hmm. athleticism and, and speed that he has on the outside, which is, you know what they should do because Ole Miss isn't going to win in the trenches against you know these top level, you know Georgia, mm-hmm. Bama's, even LSU's of the world. So I, again, you know I, I think they're going to be really good year in and year out under Lane so long as he's there. We'll see kind of what happens with that. It sounds like he's going to be a potential uh, candidate for Auburn. I think he'd be dumb to leave for Auburn, but I do think he'll eventually. Yeah, I think on, he's going to end up at Bama once Saban retires. Is is my guess, but um. Yeah, I'm. I feel like I just talked myself into thinking Bama's going to cover the spread, <laughs> but every time I've done that this year, they have not covered it. So I can't, with good conscience, recommend that because they, even when they should, they just don't seem to do it this year. Oregon, Washington, a fun game, a bigger spread than I was expecting. Oregon favored by 13 at home. You like the Ducks to cover? They have covered in 14 of their last 15 games. The only game they did not, obviously, that beat down loss to Georgia. 
Yeah, um, I think I'm on Oregon here. I get Bonix at home. Um, I get Autzen Stadium. You know, it's going to be rocking. It's a night game at 5 p.m. Uh, Bucky Irving and the running game for Oregon's really come to life recently. And Michael Penix, I mean, I'm pretty sure Washington's leading the country in terms of passing yards per game. And Penix has been good, but he just has like three or four throws a game, man, where he just simply doesn't see a guy and it's an easy interception or it's a dropped interception. Uh, Last week against Oregon State, Washington had no business winning that game. Absolutely zero business. Oregon State was easily the better football team. They had too many missed opportunities. They had a fourth and two within the Washington 10. They had a fourth and three. I think that was within the red zone also. Didn't get either of those. They had two, they had a dropped interception towards the end of the first half. That would have been a pick six. They don't catch the ball. Uh, they miss that opportunity. And all that just snowballs and allows Washington to kind of come back and win this game late. Um, I'm just a bigger believer in Oregon at this point. I'm going to take them minus 13. Over under set at 72 and a half. The average points per game in Autzen this year is 73. The over has hit four times it's four and oh and uh Oregon's last seven games at home have all hit the over so all the history says the over you know with what Washington can do offensively I don't hate it 72 and a half points is just so many to count on I mean Oregon's got a talented defense and I could see why I'd be hesitant but they I think they've underwhelmed to this point honestly and even with I'd agree. As like Christian Gonzalez and how stacked their secondary is, you can actually throw on this defense. I mean, shit, the Buffs had an 88-yard touchdown against them last week. Like, they're not as buttoned up as I think a lot of people think. They're capable of having these coverage busts. And with the way Penix, the way he's getting call, uh, plays called for him and the way he's playing right now, uh, I think the over is absolutely in play, even with the insane number. All right. You talked me into it. The over it is 72 and a half. I like the history. I like the analysis. Number seven, LSU going to Arkansas. Hold up. My app froze here. Not good podcasting. They are three and a half point favorites on the road. Um, I like LSU to cover, but it does feel like trap game territory after a big win. Yeah. Arkansas coming off a loss to Liberty. Um, And really struggling against ranked teams that they've played this year. They beat Cincinnati by seven in that week one game, um, but they managed to lose to A&M. They lost to Bama. They also lost to Mississippi State. I don't really know what I'm getting from Arkansas. I mean, KJ Jefferson, the numbers look great. But as we've seen time and time again in these bigger games against these better defenses, he's just not able to throw the ball well enough to deliver. Um, I think LSU kind of rides the high and man, three and a half is tough, but I think I'm still going to take LSU on this one. I think it's an uncomfortable bet that Dre always talks about, but I think it's the right play. Right. Before we get out of here, let's wrap up just with a a couple of thoughts on the local matchups. Maybe talk about a couple other Pac-12 Mountain West games. See you 34 and a half point dogs. I know you've talked about this matchup already, but I can the buffs cover. I think it's realistic. Uh, this USC defense, uh, you were on it, Justin. I mean, their ability to create turnovers, uh, was impressive early on, but as the season goes on, they become more leaky and, uh, more prone to just, 
allowing teams back in the games that shouldn't be in these games with the USC. I mean, last week against Cal, I think was really bad for them. Uh, against Arizona the week before, they allowed 37. I'd be shocked if the Buffs put up 30 points. Um, I mean, we just haven't seen that from them. Uh, but if they run the ball well, maybe um, you know you stop USC on a fourth and a fourth down or something, and you steal possession. I think that the covers in play. Over under set at 66. Mm, I still think I like the under. I mean, you might get 50 out of USC. But the buffs Can you just get 17 score. out of CU. I don't think so. I don't know. I think that the buffs path to cover to covering um is you come out, you play great defense. I mean, this team, USC's only turned the ball over once this year. I don't think you can count on that, but if you're able to steal one of those, if you're able to get a big play of some sorts, that's how you uh, stay in this game and potentially cover. I say stay in this game. That's how you stay in within covering range, I should say. <laughs> Fair enough. That game uh, tonight, Friday night, come on down to the DMVR bar to watch it. If you've got nothing else going on, going to be a lot of fun. Another fun game tonight in the Mountain West, a UNLV hosting Fresno State. Fresno State is hot now that they have Jake Hayner back. They're playing pretty good football. Nine and a half point favorites, though. That's that's a lot for against the UNLV team that can move the football. I just I don't think that uh, the Rebels are going to be able to stop that Fresno State offense. So I like Fresno State to cover uh, the nine and a half, especially now that Hayner's back in action. Is Fresno State's defense still Swiss cheese? Yeah, pretty much. It's it doesn't really make sense either because they have a lot of veterans, but they just have not lived up to expectations this year. Interesting. Over in play then? Definitely. Love definitely, it. definitely. Uh, CSU, they are hosting Wyoming in the border war. Started as nine and a half point underdogs. Looks like it's gone down towards Colorado State a little bit. Now eight and a half point underdogs at home. Over under set at 43. I like the Rams to be competitive in this one. It's been a really tough stretch for them in this game. They gave up almost 400 yards on the ground to Wyoming last year. Pretty much just got embarrassed in the trenches. I think Wyoming will be able to run the football. I don't think they're going to bully CSU, though. I, with what the Rams have in the front seven, I, I do think they're going to be able to to make it tough on the pokes. And at that point, you know, it comes down to, you know, what can Andrew Peasley create? He's He's solid as an improviser. He doesn't really scare me as, as far as his arm goes. The Rams should have Clay Millen back at quarterback. I don't know, man. There's there's a part of me that feels pretty good about CSU and makes me want to say something bold, like they're going to pull the upset. But I, I think they're going to cover. I tuned in late last week against San Jose State. Um, I mean, it's obviously just a team that's still kind of figuring things out. And I think that uh, they're they have the talent and the ability the coaching to kind of surprise a team like this down the stretch. I mean, you got air force next week too. Um, that'd be huge for the program also just to kind of see some progress throughout this year. I know it's been a tough year. Um, but I think that being competitive this week or next week against air force will go a long way for the Rams this year. Yeah. I mean, you just, you got to stop getting embarrassed in these type of matchups, you know, having a team go for 400 on you on the ground. It's just, that's embarrassing, yeah. especially when it's Wyoming. You know, when Air Force does it, it sucks, but you can at least comprehend how that could happen. But 
for Wyoming to just line up snap after snap and run it down their throat last year was was a tough scene. But again, uh, this Rams team is playing hard. They should have beat San Jose State last week. They were 24-point underdogs. They moved the ball on them all game. They just really struggle in the red zone. And a, a lot of that has to do with the the state of the offensive line. They've had a redshirt freshman walk on at center. And when the field gets tight, it, it's just hard for them to move the ball in those condensed areas. But you know they have the ability to to make some big plays in the passing offense. Tory Horton, a, a Blitnikoff semifinalist now, currently leading the conference in receiving. Uh, Avery Moros had four 100-yard performances since league play began, and and they're starting to get some turnovers in the secondary. You know, early on it was kind of all on Jack Howell. Washington State transfer Aiden Hector now starting at nickel. He's up to three picks on the year. They got some guys making plays. Um, the big question is just. Do they have the depth to sustain, you know, uh, an intense game like this? And we'll have to see. I mean, when you're in the low 50s with scholarship players, that's the tough spot right. to be in. Let's stay in the Mountain West. This line is intriguing to me. Um, New Mexico, 21 and a half point dogs to Air Force, but this over under set at 37 and a half. It feels like there's an opportunity to be had here. I like the under. I think we're in Air Force Navy territory because I don't. New Mexico is not going to be able to move the ball on Air Force. I don't think Air Force is going to score like forty points. Rocky Long has this New Mexico defense at least competent. Like Air Force is going to do their thing. They're still going to win by multiple scores. But I really like the under. That's a that's a quality find. Do you like the younger under? I might take my uh, my old alma mater here at plus twenty one and a half. I mean, I took the Lobos to cover play. in my pick'em pool. Um, I just think that defensively they have enough to hang around, you know, to to just make it kind of tough on Air Force. That the big thing where you could get screwed here is if Air Force connects via the passing offense. If they hit a couple of quick strikes, easy plays. If if New Mexico makes them drive, if they can. You know, not give up the big play through the air. I really like them to cover. If Air Force hits three, four, you know, passes down the field for 30 yards, it's, it's game over and they run away with it. Interesting. That could be a fun one. <clears throat> um, back to the pack. I think this one's intriguing to Arizona at UCLA. UCLA is 20 point favorites in this one against an Arizona team that's been known They're to be frisky, extremely though, expensive. Right? Yes, yeah. they are. Uh, over under a 77. So Vegas is expecting points. With UCLA minus 20, though, man, I just I can't help but think that Jaden Delora, Jacob Cowing, and McMillan uh, with Arizona, they're capable of covering this spread. Plus 850 on the money line for Zona. I, we'll have to is we'll have to see if Zach Charbonnet is healthy. He didn't play last week. Um, but UCLA still had these backs just kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, Casimir Allen, he's the guy that had that ridiculous 80 yard touchdown run. Um, Keegan Jones is also playing well too. I don't know about the money line, but man, 20 is just so big for a team that can be so explosive like Arizona. A couple of notes here for you. UCLA has covered the spread in each of its last seven games in November. Uh, so the history says UCLA at this stage of the season, Roland going to take care of business. Each of Arizona's last four November games against AP ranked teams have gone under the, the point total line. I, I wouldn't hate that considering it's 77. You got a pretty decent chance for the under to hit, but there's a reason that's set at that. And that UCLA offense has really not been stopped consistently by anyone. I know they they lost to Oregon, but you know, other than that, they've been 
week after week, just a machine. If they could go back to that Oregon game, man, um, Oregon really caught them with that, uh, that onsite kick in the first half and just gained that extra possession. Um, if they could just go back and kind of expect that one onside kick, you, we might be talking about a completely different playoff picture, Pac-12 picture. Uh, the butterfly effect, a butterfly effect looms large here, I think. <laughs> the last one I'll throw out late night, Saturday night for all you Mountain West junkies. San Diego State at home, two and a half point underdogs to San Jose State. I like San Jose State to win this game. I like them to cover the two and a half. Um, I would even consider taking an alternate spread and buying a couple points, get it more like five or six. I'd stay under a touchdown just because San Diego State is frisky enough defensively and they'll run the ball a little bit. But uh, San Jose State coming off of a you know somewhat shaky performance against a, a CSU team that played really hard. I, I like them to respond. They're just the better team in this game. They're they're more complete offensively. They're more dynamic. And defensively, it's, it's fairly equal. So I, I like San Jose State a lot. Love that. Um, I'm just looking through everything else here. I think I'm good if you are. I don't really... Oh, North yeah, Carolina Wake could be fun. Um, that's another huge over-under game. But we've gone on long enough, I think, Justin. Going to be a fun one. Shout out to all of you for listening to our pod and our ramblings every week. You make our dreams come true. Shout out to the presenting sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Shout out to Breck Brew. We'll be back next week. Much love, y'all. Peace. <laughs>